Podcast 032, Helen Atow on Sustainability and Efficiency. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. But, but that's the important stuff, because I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's getting clear now that there's sustainability versus efficiency. And what I'm doing now on the organic farm that I'm working on is incredible efficiency without chemicals. It's input substitution in that we're doing the same level of efficiency as conventional farms. So our yields right now are in some fields better, in some fields comparable, and in some fields a little worse. But mostly, in the end, we're comparable to better than yields with, uh, with chemicals. Okay, so quick summary of where, of where you're working now. I'm working... Uh, you're, you're like the, the, the head uh, uh, genius of 60, vegetation. 60 <laughs> different crops. Uh, 2,000 acres. 2,000 acres, big time... Uh, what I call conventional organic in Colorado, the Front Range. Something like it's the biggest organic operation the in Colorado. Or biggest like organic, biggest and oldest organic operation. And there is no company. conventional food. It's all organic. It's L- technically all organic. USDA do. approved organic. It's certified every speck organic of it. vegetables, fruits, grains, and beans. And there's a, a pasture poultry operation going along with it. And while it's extremely efficient, it's not sustainable. We bring in inputs from off the farm to be able to maintain that level of, of fertility. Are you going to get fired for saying that? <laughs> no. should, I, should I hold this podcast off until later in the season or something? Perhaps. perhaps. <laughs> I'm really glad to be able to, to see this because the reason that we need that kind of efficiency is to maintain food for the level of populations that we're at this, this world. So Wes Jackson has said, and I think he's right, that to go to a system of food production based on, on nature, on, on sustainability that sponsors its own soil fertility, for example, you have to have a smaller world population that we probably can't feed the population that we are at with a truly sustainable agriculture. We can do it with the agriculture I'm doing. We can do it with uh, an organic system where we use uh, manures and where we use uh, cover crops and we're far more sustainable than the chemical-based agriculture, but we're definitely not anywhere near sustainable. So we're still going to die. We're just going to die slower. That's kind of where a and lot of people are, are going. And yet when you look at, at trying to truly mimic a natural system, and there are several people doing that. Fukuoka was doing mimicking a natural system. There are some permaculture systems that are trying to mimic natural systems, forest forest farming. Forest gardening. Forest gardening, exactly. Forest gardening versus mimicking the natural prairie system that Wes Jackson's doing at the Land Institute. And Fukuoka was all doing both grains and forest gardening, so to speak. All of those systems are sustainable, truly moving towards what is ultimately sustainable. On the other hand, in general, They're not as efficient, and the reason is that there's a cost to sustainability. There's a cost to keeping the soil covered. You have to produce and then maintain more carbohydrate in permanent roots and permanent stems. And when you look at forest gardening, permanent tree trunks. So there's a lot of carbohydrate being maintained by what solar energy hits that acre, what nutrients are utilized by that acre, what water is utilized by that acre that aren't going into yield. And the way we measure efficiency is what's the yield per acre. And it's a stupid way to do it because it's going to at some point come crashing down on us that you can't only think about production yield. You have to think about what it takes, what's the cost to produce that efficient yield. But I guess what I'm saying, too, is that with this natural farming, 
or the Fukuoka style farming that I have done and the forest gardening that I'm trying to get into now, that we also have a cost. And it's, it's, it's a biological real cost, and that's what's going to keep us from ever being able to get the yields that a guy in Iowa can get with a rotation of grains and beans. We'll never be able to be that efficient. Never? I mean, I've got like probably 40 things to say based on the things that you've just said, <laughs> and I'm trying to like not interrupt. Go ahead, you say it now. And, and, uh, well, no, I, I can't remember all of them, but uh, I, you know, I, I kind of think about that guy uh, we're talking about in Iowa or Ohio. Well, anyway, in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and he's got this amazingly deep, rich soil, which he is depleting. Exactly. And and at the same time, he's uh, on top of that, he's pouring on his chemical fertilizers every year, and so and you're saying you know we can't compete with that. And um, uh, now, granted, he's making his his soil is he's on the other end of the spectrum of sustainability. Eventually, um, uh, you know he's he's not going. I mean, the the cost of oil is going to go up. He's not going to be able to use the chemical fertilizer so Absolutely. much. He's going to you know, and and so there's there's that. But even even in, let's, let's take the guy that's the best producer in all of the Midwest per acre, most mm-hmm. food per acre. And it's like I I cannot help but think that um, if as opposed to having like you have a thousand acre patch and you've got one guy mm-hmm. who is managing that thousand acre patch, mm-hmm. and if we took that same thousand acre patch and we turned it over to 500 permaculture folks. So that's one permaculture folk per two acres. And that one permaculture folk person per two acres, I would think, can produce enough food, can can produce more food per acre than that one guy on the 1,000 acres. And he's producing, you know, let's say 1,000 acres of corn. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I cannot help but think that um, we're going to get more food per acre if we've got 500 people replacing that one person. Um, but now we've been talking about this a little bit, and, and you would say no. I, I would disagree, and I, I, I would disagree strongly at this point. I, I think after watching and, and farming now both systems, that it, it's a biological fact that when you try to support perennial roots and perennial stems, you lose, quote-unquote, efficiency which is is measured in terms of of yield. So you can produce more food if you do a mono concentration on on efficiency. It's not sustainable, but you don't have to support lots and lots of of biological material that isn't isn't feeding people. That's the that's the main biological fact. And and actually I have to say that, that when I was in my twenties and at the Land Institute in, in Kansas working with uh with uh West Jackson, one of one of the studies that I did looked just at that. I was looking at a perennial sunflower, a native to the prairie, that uh we were comparing the yield to uh an annual non native sunflower. And the seeds per acre were less with the perennial sunflower than the annual sunflower. So your, your point is well taken. Wes Jackson's whole raison d'etre is to figure out how to maximize the yield from that perennial sunflower. But just with the laws of ecology, just with biological facts, such as resource allocation, meaning that where the plant puts the resources, whether it puts its resources into producing seed and then dies, or it puts its resources into some seed, some stem, some perennial roots, it can't put all of it everywhere, right? So it it allocates less resources to the efficiency, right, the yield, as opposed to saying, but I'm going to stay alive, and so you don't have to plant me every year. So that was my first lesson in in efficiency versus sustainability. So you're talking about two different things, but I don't think you get to have both. That's all I'm saying, is that you don't get to say that we can have the same exact 
yield efficiency with with these much more sustainable systems where we keep plant roots in the ground all the time so the soil is covered, which is the first premise, by the way, of sustainability, I think, soil covered, and to have a diversity of plants. And then I'm just going to add one other thing that, that is, is new to me uh, after growing on a small scale where I used Fukuoka's tex- techniques and, and uh, um, more sustainable ecological farming techniques on my own farm versus what I'm doing now where I have 10 times as many crops, it is really, really hard to manage a diversity of things as opposed to managing one thing. Managing one thing, oh man, one big crop, that is so easy. And a couple of, of rotations of uh, grains and beans so that you get, you get two crops per season per, per, per acre, hard to beat that efficiency. So <clears throat> let's talk about efficiency, but I want to try efficiency from a slightly different angle. And, and I, I agree with all the stuff you said, and I want to add something in. I want to add things in that are more of a, what I believe to be more of a permaculture perspective. And that's going to be that when you have your monocrop out there, even if it is corn, that there is a certain amount of efficiency that you're going to have that it's going to convert sunlight, it's going to convert soil, it's going to convert water. Um, at the same time, uh, if you had your uh, whatever the plant was and you had um, a polyculture of other plants, that um, uh, there are a lot of plants, such as corn, where it's, it's like they actually would be just as productive with half as much sunlight. And they would be um, just as productive with, um, uh, you know, if, if half of the soil was there, because if they were sharing the soil with other plants, then in, in such an a polyculture environment, then it's like there would be more ground cover, but the plant would be just as productive. And so um, uh, maybe I shouldn't pick corn because corn's kind of this bizarre No, I think plant. that's a, a good example. And, and overyielding is a well-known, quote-unquote, overyielding, is a well-known ecological principle that if you grow... If you grow two crops in a piece of ground that are using the resources a little differently, that you can get over-yielding, meaning you can get more yield per acre than you would have gotten. But more, you, pounds per, it, more pounds of food per acre. Exactly. But, but to take that, a couple of plants... And corn, beans, and squash is the you know clusters exactly the classic example. So so there you go. That could be could be tweaked to be as efficient in yield as you know a guy who does uh, corn and soybeans. But what I'm saying is the kind of systems that I was doing the no-till sponsors at its own fertility. Woody plants and annuals, uh, permaculture, Fukuoka style, uh, mimicking a native prairie the way the Land Institute is doing, all of that is going to get close, and we can do better and better, and it's what I want to do, actually. Well, it's being done so little right now. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're well under 1% of all the food that's produced in the United States. I mean, probably not even 0.1%. Right. And um, it's been done so little, the system has really not been optimized, whereas your conventional agricultural space has been extremely optimized, although it is, of course, you know, degrading everything very fast. I agree. And so um, I think that, it, that these systems, right now, as they are, straight out of the package, if a person were to go out and do a real permaculture system, for because um, uh, uh, usually they don't pay off for five years. That from five years and beyond, that production, pro, the amount of food per acre, the pounds of food per acre, would be comparable to the conventional stuff next door. And it comes from like that was where Fukuoka was too. When Fukuoka got started, his crops sucked. And then after five, seven years, then he started to be comparable with the guys next door. And then several years after that, He's in the 95th percentile for production per acre. Well, I think there's a learning curve, absolutely, and there is a building. Uh, I also think 
that something uh, I told you that someone said to me recently that is is really interesting. There are no major farmers who have, on a commercial level, been able to mimic Fukuoka's farming methods and make them pay off. So Fukuoka got that to work, but but Fukuoka said, "Don't do this." Uh, and, and so I, I didn't. Mean, so any farmer that's trying to do exactly what Fukuoka did is, uh, is uh, not doing what Fukuoka said to do. But utilizing the techniques of having permanent ground cover, no chemicals, trying to eliminate tillage, right. uh, eliminate adding fertilizer, those basic tenets. So that's what I did on my system. And, and I, I didn't actually. I had to add to, to maintain the yields that I needed to be able to survive here in Montana I added a little bit of manure until the last couple of years. The last two years uh, out of 17, I didn't add manure. I wanted to try and do animal-free man, um, farming, and so I didn't. But, but my system was, number one, not as sustainable as Fukuoka's, and number two, a lot higher yielding in terms of the vegetable production. I didn't do grains. But... I still couldn't compete because of, on a breaker basis, because I was growing my own fertilizer on site, and and hence some of the water, some of the sunlight, some of the nutrients were going into that sustainability cost, as opposed to uh, as opposed to these other people that that don't have that sustainability cost because they're getting it off farm. All I'm saying is that we can be very efficient per acre. We can be very efficient in terms of keeping lots of organisms per acre of the world alive, but it will be harder if we move to that kind of nature farming to keep the human population at the level that we are currently at fed. And hence, I want to do that. I want to do now, move in the direction of doing sustainable farming, nature farming, take Fukuoka's techniques and see how how much I can tweak the system and, and how good I can get at it. But I also am very careful to say that what I'm going to be doing, my system, is not going to feed the population of the world at its current level. And that's one of the reasons I didn't have children, because I think in order to have sustainable farming, we have to have a smaller human population. <clears throat> I want to emphasize, man, of course, once again, now there's 40 more things I just have to say, but of course the, the, <laughs> the most pressing one that I feel is that when Fukuoka set out to do his systems, he was told by a lot of people that he cannot do it. It mm -hmm. cannot be done. It is impossible. Mm -hmm. That's what they told me here in Montana. And and then and then Fukuoka did it. Mm -hmm. And and not only did he do it, but he, now he has. Not only does he have a system that is beyond sustainable. I mean, that soil is getting richer and richer and richer every year. But at the exact same time, he's got. Um, uh, not, he's in the 95th percentile for rice production per acre. So his Actually, overall production... not anymore. Well, uh, he's died. Exactly, <laughs> and, and, and they stopped doing it. They started adding manure to his fields. So, um, uh, so, so why did that happen? I mean, I, I think it's really lovely to uh, look at Fukuoka's example, but I also think it's really important to be realistic and, and see that it's not happening anymore. You're derailing my train here. Uh, I was sorry. trying really hard to not derail your train. Okay, I'll be quiet. Okay, all right. The key is, is that Fukuoka did it. He, he was producing his production, the food, the number of pounds of food per acre, just pounds of rice per acre is in the 95th percentile. He is out-competing the conventional guys. I mean, he's in the top 5% of production of rice per acre. And for Fukuoka, he was also pulling off from the exact same acreage a bonus crop of barley. Now, granted, he's in a warmer space. We're in Montana and things like that. But still, the key is, is that he was told he could not possibly do it. And now... Fukuoka's big thing, and I know that I, I think this is in Larry's podcast, but Fukuoka's big thing was is that he was able to 
uh, uh, he, was, he was very emphatic that the difference between his stuff and um, his, his stuff and permaculture is that with permaculture, uh, uh, it's a bunch of techniques. It's a collection of techniques. Here's things that you can try everywhere. But Fukuoka's stuff is more about not having techniques. It's about, you know, no, no, don't do the techniques. The techniques it just happen to be these are the techniques that I happen to come up with here. Mm-hmm. But really the thing to do is the philosophy. And the philosophy is going to be to observe and figure out what's going to work really well for you. Now, of course, one of the big principles to shoot for is no-till. How to come up with something that's sustainable. How do you come up with something that's going to be better and better and better every year? Now, I think food forests, a big part of food forests is, is the idea is eventually you're going to get to the point where you don't have to fertilize, you don't have to irrigate, you don't have to do anything but harvest. Harvest only. Mm-hmm. And so uh, everything is self-seeding or it's perennial or whatever. Um, and then on top of that, the system can be optimized so that the amount of food per acre on top of that system is still going to be greater than, you know, the neighbors. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's fair to try and compare, trying to grow stuff here in Montana compared to some place where the soil is six feet deep. Um, and so it's like, I like the idea of doing a comparison to the neighbors, the guy next door. How, how is your production compared to the people within a mile or two miles, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing? So um, I think when we are talking about pounds of food per acre, that uh, I, I think that um, just based on what we know about permaculture and Fukuoka and Holster and all these guys right now, that we can compete with conventional where they're bringing chem, chemical fertilizers and whatnot into their systems and we're bringing in only seeds into our systems. And, um, and granted, and after how? five years, after we get established for five years, I think in pounds per acre of food, mm-hmm. um, and, and then I think that on top of that, that there's a lot of room for optimization. There's a lot of room for improvement. I mean, this is just a, a base foundation, whereas conventional systems have been optimized as far as they can go. All right, that was my most, that was my biggest, I mean, I've still got, I got four more hours of stuff to say about the things that you've just so far said, but that was the biggest one I had to say. And now I know you are just about to pop with things that you've got to say. Well, actually, I, I agree with you in terms of sustainability that we can compete with conventional neighbors, we can compete, compete with conventional organic neighbors. But I don't think that we can compete with pounds per acre of food. And I don't think in most ways we ever will be able to. I think that there will be a few anomalies like Fukuoka's system a couple of times was able to compete. But in the long term, it hasn't competed. It's no longer doing it. And towards the end of his life, it was no longer doing that. So, And in my farming, I see that it was really hard. It's impossible. I mean, you just, it, it, when you look at the laws of physics and the laws of, of biology, it's impossible to compete with a neighbor who's bringing inputs from outside of the farm when you're limiting your inputs to on-farm. On the other hand, there's no other way to farm in terms of sustainability. All I'm pointing out is that there's no free lunch, that if we want, and we should want, to farm sustainability and gar- farm and garden in a sustainable way, that we have to limit human populations because we can't feed them at the same level that this this agriculture system that we've developed, the Green Revolution, has created. That we can't compete in any way with with inputs being brought from off farm and subsidizing a piece of land. So. <clears throat> Uh, all right. I, 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 I kind of feel like I, I, I want to reemphasize, okay, first, I don't agree. Um, I mean, it, it seems to me, if nothing else, I mean, Fukuoka is just one example. Mm-hmm. And, and plus, there have been some recent studies that have come out just in the last couple of months, which, which basically have shown, uh, in fact, one of these movies that we watched, uh, not you and I, but Jocelyn and I watched, um, uh, had the evidence about how a, uh, a medium-sized organic farm produced more food per acre than uh, a large-sized uh, conventional farm. Um, and on, on top of that, um, 
there have been lots and lots of other examples of where people are getting more food per acre. And then David Bloom's stuff is an example of the, the, the thing down mm -hmm. in, in, in San Francisco. More food per acre than, than traditional conventional systems. And I mean, just when I go out and I look at existing conventional systems and I think about how you can, you know, what you were just calling overcropping and how basically polyculture is like, mm -hmm. you know, overcropping mm -hmm. times 20, mm -hmm. um, then it's kind of like I, 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 the math just seems to add up to where permaculture outcompetes. Now, Fukuoka was at least able to do it for a, a period of time mm -hmm. where his soils, he, he had the best of all worlds mm -hmm. and he was producing more food per acre than his, than his neighbors. So um, uh, because he was able to do it, and it, then it, it can be done. And, and the thing is, is we're just not doing enough in that space, I believe, to, to really uh, do it. And so I, when it comes to the feeding the population, no, I think that we can have a larger population. I think that we can go ahead and, and we can produce. In fact, you know, here we are in Montana and we're sitting next to um, fields and fields of, of uh, crop and um, at the same time I can look around and I can see lots of land that's not being used. And not only do I think that the crop lands that I'm looking at are being used very inefficiently and I could produce more food per acre on those, I believe, but I see a lot of land that's not being used at all. And then when we start talking about, um, I mean, like a, a lot of it is, is like, you know, the conventional ag, it's, it's petroleum-based uh, uh, fertilizers. And it's kind of like, um, as I look around, in this particular area, people uh, are not allowed to grow gardens. And, and it's like, uh, um, uh, and, I, and I visited with a guy who sets down that rule, how gardens are not allowed and things like that. And, and it's like, you know, uh, he himself tried to go, grow a garden, and and I mean, it, but, but basically the bottom line was is that they just ended up not using the food that was grown in the garden. Um, I I kind of like the I, I kind of think that uh, um, if we can get to the part where we're eliminating petroleum products from transporting food around because people are going back to like uh, um, raising their own gardens and things like that. That well, hey, guess what? Now you've got more petroleum products for your conventional-based fertilizers, and uh, you've got a better uh, uh, package for supporting the uh, the existing population or the growing population. <laughs> well, I certainly agree that that we can use land better than we have been. Absolutely, and I, I obviously, I mean, I've farmed doing no-till high diversity systems for the last 20 years. So obviously I agree with all of that. I'm just being a devil's advocate because I meet a lot of people who talk about food systems now who uh, never get their hands dirty and have never actually tried to live off of what they grow. And I've done that. And it's a much, meager more, much more meager diet when you try to only eat what you can produce or what you can produce and trade for because I never grew large amounts of grains and beans so I traded the vegetables and fruits that I grew uh, to diversify my diet somewhat and, and get some grains from some of my buddies who, who were growing grains on a bigger piece of ground. Now I think I can do that. Uh, I can grow everything that I eat and not have to purchase anything, maybe a little bit of olive oil and, and uh, a little bit of salt. but. Until people have actually done that, actually produced all that they eat, this talk about gardening to support themselves, it, to me, seems wonderful and at the same time not particularly realistic because most people produce gardens for maybe at the most nine months out of the year and they have a little bit of vegetables. And then when they get really hungry, they go to, you know, the Whole Foods store or the local co-op and they buy stuff that other people have produced. And they don't really focus on, on how that's been produced. So now I've done both. I've done small-scale permaculture, produce my food, sell my food, and eat only what I grow, which, as I said, was a pretty darn meager diet. And now I'm working with one of the largest organic farms in, uh, in the West and realizing what it really takes to get that food to the farmer's market, to our 5,000-member CSA, by the way, and what it really requires to have a food system where you really eat what comes from the ground 
near you, period. And you don't go to co-ops and farmers markets and supermarkets and you you actually eat what what comes from from near you. It's it's just biologically a lot more complex than we're we're making it and and simplifying. And so I'm just being the devil's advocate saying that, uh, yeah, I think we can do it. I think we can have a sustainable food system. I think that we can't have the human population that we have now if we're going to do it. And I'm also really unhappy to think that in order to maintain this huge human population to have a sustainable food system, that we'd use every other piece of the natural world and there would be no wild spaces available. So some of this land that you're talking about is quote-unquote wasted land. That's what we call wild space <laughs> for other organisms. And I think Wendell Berry's right. It would be a shame if we stopped being human before we stopped being. I, I, I'm not... I'm, granted, there's a lot of wild spaces out there and there's a lot of lawns out there. And there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I've seen, I've seen lawns around here that are several acres in size. Oh, lawns are ridiculous. For, well, I think that there's a time and place for lawns. I think there's also, it, it can be said that you can take the lawn concept to an extreme where it's an inefficient use of sun and soil. Um, but I, I, I see a lot of space right here that's, that's I, mean, I mean, we're right next to Lee Metcalf Wildlife Reserve, mm-hmm. you know, and so... No, I, I, I'm not. I'm hoping to not encroach on wild spaces, and at the same time, um, I am not a big fan of seeing the examples of uh, I'm making nature my personal bitch, uh, <laughs> and which is uh, otherwise referred to as landscaping, or um, you know, even even looking at the monocrops that we see in these fields that we're looking at here. Um, uh, so. I, I think I think while well, well, I appreciate that what you're saying is is that yes these things come at a cost and it's like I can either you know um, uh, you know take the resources that I have which would be sun and soil and water and and uh, you know maybe even dollars and say so I can take my resources and I can put it towards building a better future or I can take my resources and cash it in now um, for uh, crop this year I think this is what you're kind of getting at when mm-hmm. you're saying yeah. cost. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I want there to be more examples of permaculture systems where it, it is being carefully measured of how much food per acre are we pulling out of this system? How much food per acre are we pulling out of this food forest? And, um, uh, and then, you know, how much are we, what is the cost? How much are we putting into it? Mm-hmm. So uh, here we have a 10 acres of food forest, and here we have 10 acres mm-hmm. of wheat. And um, between the two, which one is producing more pounds of food? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that we need more, more examples of that. Absolutely, and absolutely. We need someone to do those kinds of studies in terms of, of biological efficiencies and economic efficiencies. And mostly what we've looked at is economic efficiencies. We haven't looked at, at we don't even remember how to live with, within the efficiencies and, the, bio, and the, the rules of biology because we've been so removed and disconnected from it as, as a species. And all I'm saying is that we are so disconnected now from, from what biology can actually do that we think that we can have everything. And I just want to be a devil's advocate and say that... You know, uh, I don't think he needs an advocate. I think you should give that up. All right, I'll stop doing that. <laughs> I'll stop doing that. But I guess after spending the last 25 years doing what Fukuoka taught me, and also some of the things I learned at the Land Institute, which is to really watch the natural world, I realize that there are limits to what the land can do if you're going to do it in a way that respects other beings and other organisms in the world and respect the soil and respect the water and respect what resources go into making things grow. If you, if you pay attention to all of that, then you can't, keep creating a bigger and bigger pie. There is a biological pie and you can be you can tweak the system and pay attention and and become 
more able to uh, get things integrated, to integrate all the inner relationships within it. But you don't get to have a total free lunch. That's a human construct. I want to I want to disagree with one point, and I want to tell a story from a from a while back that you, you and I were just talking about a little while ago, <clears throat> and that is that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna emphasize the uh, economic aspect. I think that there's a lot to be said about measuring things economically. Um, you know, for example, somebody could grow so many pounds of food. You know, maybe they can grow some immense amount of pounds of food, but then nobody wants to eat it. It's like something some kind of food where it's technically food, but but you know um, it's no one wants it. So they, they, maybe you produce a huge, huge number of pounds of food per acre, but you can only get uh, five cents a pound for it because it's, you know, so mm-hmm. unpalatable or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so dollars helps to reflect um, the quality of the food that comes off of it. And, you know, as long as we're going to be taking um, a conventional field and measuring the economic value that comes out of it, because out of a permaculture field, we can bring out um, meat, as well as uh, a variety of different uh, fruits and vegetables and grains and all kinds of different foods, which might fetch more dollars per pound than the wheat. But wouldn't be biologically efficient, would certainly be more inefficient per acre. Uh, well, I'm, I'm saying that uh, um, I'm, I, I want to win on all counts. Whatever metric you can come up with, I, I want to – I, I think – uh, permaculture is going to win, and I realize that that's, that's a pretty tall order because I'm sure that there's some metric that we come up with mm-hmm. where conventional wins every time. Mm-hmm. But then the thing I want to also factor in here is the idea of, um, and, I, and I really hate to, to bring in politics ever, but of, of, in a way we are anyway. But let's, let's talk about, let's add in the additional uh, cost, the economic aspect of health. Let's, let's add in cancer. Yeah, all the and, sustainability parameters, absolutely. And, and so now I want to tell the story that, that I was telling you um, uh, before we started the podcast of like 15 years ago, I took your Master Gardener class, and I, by the skin on my teeth, I became a Master Gardener. And I, I, I you know, barely, barely a Master Gardener. Um, and, uh, uh, and then I was sent out uh, to go out to people's property and, and help them solve problems. And um, and you were the person who gave me my assignments, and um, and I remember this one particular day, I was sent out to some place where uh, they had a tree that had aphids in it, and um, I'm I had to wait a bit, and a guy shows up and he says, "Sorry, I'm late. I was um, visiting my sister who's in the hospital, fighting cancer." And um, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, you know, so now let's look at your tree. So we look at the tree. And he says, it's covered in aphids again. It, it gets covered in aphids every year. And then so every year I come out here several times a year and hose it down with this chemical. Um, and I remember that part of the thing of being a master gardener was that we were not allowed to advocate organic. We, we, you know, we could mention organic next to all of the chemical approaches, and I remember being in this weird dilemma as I'm trying to, like, you know, comply with the the Master Gardener thing where I can't, because I was a big, I, I came into the Master Gardener program as an IPM guy, integrated pest management. So, you know, the, the lead, there, there's a time and place for using pesticides. And I left the Master Gardener program after having read all those MSDS sheets that you made us read, <laughs> And, and thinking, you know what, I can no longer think of a time when it's okay to use pesticides. It's just not worth it. This stuff is just too toxic. It's just too nasty. It's too scary. So back to this guy with his tree. So I'm, 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 I'm looking at his tree, and my first thought is, is like, uh, okay, so you've been spraying your tree with this highly carcinogenic compound for years, and now your sister who lives with you your sister is in the hospital with cancer, and um, you are not making the connection. Now, I, I can't tell him that. And I wonder how many people out there, you know, have never heard a message they really needed to hear along these lines, but they, you know, they were, they were restricted in some way, much as I was restricted that day. But, you know, the, and of course, there's, you know, we could talk about what were the solutions to help him with his aphids, but, but really the thing is is that um, the stuff he was spraying <laughs> was actually making the aphid problem worse. I mean, it would kill the aphids, and it would kill all the beneficial insects. 
and it would give his sister cancer, and who knows if he's going to get cancer soon, too. Um, and then there's this extra expense. So anyway, I've conveyed the story, which I, I, I felt was a good one and needed to be conveyed. But at the same time, on, on the permaculture side of things, as, as we work in economics, I think it's a valid thing to work in, the economics of healthcare that come with a system that, that loads up the, the, the carcinogenic stuff. And, and um, uh, you know... Yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and stop there because you've been very patient. I, I completely agree with all of that. And I, I guess to get back to the guy with the aphids who wasn't hearing all the messages, that's all I'm saying is that we are focusing on, as you call it, the rainbows and flowers of having a, a beautiful local food system, which I've been working on in my own little way here for the last 25 years. And I'm saying that as we do that, that we have to see all the messages, we have to see all the truth, we have to do a, a good job of getting rid of all of our conditioning, all of the things that we think we know, and really look and listen with all our resources, our, our heart, our minds, our souls, our spirits, to the land, and and not make things up. And I think that it's making things up to look at the land and say that we can, we can have a food system, a local food system that is sustainable in that it sponsors its own fertility, that we maintain all the beneficial organisms that then become our ecological service providers so that we don't have to use any chemicals at all. If we're going to have a system like that, then we don't get to have the population, the human population that we have now. And, and to think that we can have it all, I think, is not hearing the messages. It's being like that poor man that had the sister with cancer and still wanted to spray the trees uh, for aphids, that you, you have to look at the consequences of all of your actions. And if we want a healthy food system, if we want to have diversity, of plants and organisms and health for the world and ourselves, we have to look at what the fundamental issues are. And one of them is that we're asking the wrong questions, how to be able to produce enough food to feed a bigger and bigger population. And I'm going to do exactly what you're saying, uh, but I'm no longer going to be limited by saying that we have to maintain this level of of human population and this level of, of the way we live, this, this lifestyle. I don't think you can have this lifestyle and this human population and still have a fair and sustainable food system. That's all I'm, I'm saying. After doing this for 25 years and having <laughs> lots of dirt under my fingernails and trying really, really hard to, to make a healthy economic food system. I don't actually care about the economics so much anymore. I really care about something that's equitable to all the organisms of the earth. Well, I, I imagine that, uh, I mean, I, well, okay, once again, I've got 40 more things to say, but I, the one thing that's the most important, actually, to me, is I want to emphasize something that you said, and that is that, you know, this whole thing about being sustainable mm -hmm. is hard. And I think I think very few people who are at, have the word sustainable on their lips have any clue how hard it is. And while I have a more optimistic outlook than you, I, I think like I think that that you know permaculture can do more mm -hmm. than than what I think what you're saying. And and you know it's and, and I I should probably qualify my position by saying you've got your hands in the dirt this year. Far more than me. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I travel around to a lot of farms and stuff. I see a lot of things. And I do a lot of stuff. But I, I right at this moment, I do not even have a garden. And um, uh, and, and I've been whining about this a lot in the last couple of months. But still, um, I might be one of those people that are the armchair people that you're concerned about. Um, in that uh, um, I'm uh, talking a lot about sustainability, but I'm not. What, what the hell am I actually doing? You know, what am I demonstrating today? Um, but I, I, I do think that it is something like what I think what Fukuoka accomplished is awesome. 
and I think I think he made a lot of sacrifices just so that he could have a so he could stand up and say, "There, it is possible. It is done." But he had to like fight for that. Yeah. He had to. I mean, it just even with the interns that came to his land, you being one of them. It's like, man, these people just don't get it. And, and in a way, he's got to fight his own interns in order to be able to, to, to make his point. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. It, and it's like, you know, okay, I want you guys to go out and do this. And, it, and, and they go out and they, they – it's like, okay, you did it all wrong. <laughs> so he's, he's perpetually – but even, even despite all the fighting that he had to do, he did eventually prove it. Now, if he were to start over again, if he were alive, and he could start, I mean, I imagine it would be much easier because he's made certain points already. I agree. So, um, and I, and I kind of think we need more, more of that. I mean, we've got Sepp Holzer coming to Montana. He's going to be in the United States. Uh, and he's still alive, uh, thankfully. And, um, uh, and he's got an example. And he's made several examples. Um, another one that he's done recently that uh, we've talked about in podcasts is uh, his work in Portugal, where um, you know there are some areas there where it's, it's uh, the kind of desert that gets only three inches of rain a year, and he's brought back lakes, and he's able to people are able to, to raise their crops without irrigation there. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, he is. I mean, if you think about it, if he's able to raise a crop mm-hmm. in Portugal where it's three inches of rain a year without irrigation. Mm-hmm. We should be able to do it here in Missoula, you know, and, and so... Um, I think you should be that example. What I'm going to do is, is uh, I've, I've done it in this Missoula area now for 17 years, and now that farm is sold to somebody else. I'm going to get some more <laughs> land and, uh, and go beyond where I was with the uh, no-till living mulch forest gardening example. I'm, I want to take it to forest gardening and grains and permaculture without the use of uh, of animals. And that's going to be my example. So, yeah, yeah, you do it here. Oh, that, that, I'm, I'm calling that Plan A. Okay. Yeah, Plan A. Cool. Uh, and and uh, uh, to be able to demonstrate that is, is of course, really important. And, and that's another thing, too, is I've heard um, hundreds of people say that they're going to go out and build their uh, permaculture demonstration plot and um, well you know I've, I've seen very few of them actually come into reality and so um, man there's a powerful need for more of that reality absolutely absolutely so um, it, it, it seems like where we're wrapping up is the idea where you can envision a permaculture system that produces uh, pounds of food comparable to current conventional systems, and it's sustainable. I mean, beyond sustainable. I can envision a a very biologically sustainable and biologically efficient system that produces a lot of food to support a much lower population than we have in the world currently. You totally dodged my question. <laughs> you totally dodged my point. <laughs> I, I think you're asking the wrong question. Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, but I, I, I kind of feel like for a lot of the things that uh, I cover in the podcast and on, on Permies and, you know, whatnot, um, uh, a lot of it is is to help people move from conventional into permaculture. And Absolutely. So the way that they measure everything mm-hmm. is their language. Mm-hmm. And so then when we talk about these things, if we talk about it in our language, mm-hmm. then it sounds like crazy talk. But then if we can uh, get an interpreter in, mm-hmm. then we can try to speak to them in their language in a way that they can understand. And then maybe someday they might even try to learn our language. So right now, um, uh, one of the ways, one of the metrics that they go by is pounds of food per acre. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, like, when we look at this land, I talk to the guy that owns this chunk of land right here fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, of course, his focus is his number of dollars per acre mm-hmm. for income. Mm-hmm. And, and he's monitoring his expenses. He's optimized his system. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're looking at right there mm-hmm. is freshly planted um, Roundup-ready 
alfalfa. I see it. So um, this is the stuff that there was a big controversy just a few months ago, and then mm-hmm. they finally got it passed, mm-hmm. and he raced right out, and he bought it, mm-hmm. and he plowed up this land, and this is what he's planted. He is so excited. He's already been out there with the Roundup to kill everything else. So now it's definitely an alfalfa uh, monoculture. Uh, monocrop. So um, uh, he's, he's just super, and, and of course, he sold lots of alfalfa, and he's planted alfalfa before, where he never sprayed anything because, you know, you can't. The price of alfalfa is really high now, and you know one of the reasons? It's kind of interesting. A lot of farmers now are starting to move into this sustainable world, so there's, there's not only the use of alfalfa for, uh, for animal feed and livestock, but it's really hard now to get what I've been telling people is a good, Al- sustainable fertilizer. Alfalfa pellets. Right. Alfalfa pellets have uh, doubled in cost this year. And uh, cover crop seed has doubled in cost because even the conventional farmers are starting to add living mulches like subterranean clover to their corn plantings because they're saying, oh, look at this. The cost of nitrogen, petrochemical-based nitrogen, is so high now that I better figure out a cheaper way to do it. So, yeah, all of that is there. The only thing I'm saying is that if you use the same, the whole system is broken, the whole system. (laughs) And if you use the same language to talk about the broken system, you find that the language, too, is broken and that we need to move beyond what we have been told and what we see if we're going to find a way out of this back to nature and back to a connection with the land that, that allows us to do the kinds of things that Fukuoka saw because he learned from the land that, he, I don't know Sepp Holter, but you say that he does the same thing, trying to observe. And I know that I've been trying to do for the last 20 years, which is to drown out all the other noise so that I can actually hear what the land is saying. And if we don't do that, the system is going to continue to be broken. Although it's cool to garden, and it's definitely a wonderful idea to have permaculture demonstration centers. Oh, so much to say again. <laughs> um, I I think that um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the thing I tried to ask you a little while ago, and then and then you you came up with a different answer. Do you believe that it is? See, now I I believe I believe that it's not only possible for permaculture to produce more pounds of food per acre. But I believe that permaculture can produce more pounds of food per acre than conventional systems. And so the question that I put to you, being a person who's currently you know, managing a very massive organic operation and having done organic operations for a very long time, beyond organic operations for a very long time, then um, and, and you've got some knowledge of permaculture, a, a, a pretty good grasp of permaculture and food forests, do you believe that it is possible for a permaculture system today to produce pounds of food per acre equivalent to conventional systems? No. So um, how far does it fall short? Well, I, I explained to you that that it's very important to not look at this with human eyes. The question is is looking at it from a, a, a human hopeful point of view. The the way that we've got to look at things is from the the land's perspective. We have to speak the land's language. And True. if you are taking resources from somewhere else and putting them on a piece of land, an acre, you will never be able You'll, you'll always have a higher yield of edible food, pounds per acre, from that acre on which you've put resources that came from elsewhere than if you stick to the biological limits, the reality of what the natural world tells you, which is, which is permaculture. So on my farm that I recently sold, I tried to only fertilize with what 
I could grow and to grow a huge orchard and to grow woody plants that are native woody plants that didn't require any water once they were established and so produced a lot of food without the inputs of fertilizer, without the inputs of water. All those beautiful things that I did, I could not get the same yield per acre that I'm getting on this conventional organic farm where we're bringing in lots of manure from local dairy, local organic dairy, by the way. So we're certified organic and we're utilizing animals. I cannot match that yield and uh, even with all of the over-yielding things that I was doing, uh, even when I did Fukuoka's methods in a warmer climate where I could get a succession of corn and wheat and and uh, rice and rye and vegetables mixed in and raspberries and fruiting crops and uh, on on shrubs and and trees around the whole system and animals that moved through and ate the leftover, we still couldn't get the same yield that you can get when you steal from one acre to add to the fertility of another acre. <clears throat> so you dodged my question. Oh, I no, I'm not. How much did you come up short? I, 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 and I, I don't know. I don't have the, okay. I don't have the numbers. So I'm going to change. I'm going to come up with it. I have a new question now. Okay. And so I'm going to, and this is, it's a, still a follow-up question. So then you, I asked you, is it possible to be equivalent? And you said no. Mm-hmm. How then do you therefore account for Fukuoka producing more than conventional techniques? I, I think that, that there are some years that you can produce within your system as much or more. I just don't think that you can do it consistently if you have really good sun and really good rain. and uh, There were years that even with my minimum to no-till vegetable production, I was getting the same yields as uh, as some of the guys in California, 50,000 pounds of tomatoes per acre, but not every year and not consistently year after year because the beautiful and the terrible, from a human point of view, thing about living within the the, the limits and the reality of a natural system is that it's inconsistent. True. You're not going to give yourself any credit for having produced more than the guys in California from Oh, Montana. hell yeah. I was really <laughs> excited about that. when. Uh, they have a parade for you or something when, like that. Uh, yeah, I used to be very competitive about that. And, and when I first started 20, 30 years ago, my goal was to show, first with organic and then with my agroecology, that I could produce as much as the other guys. Now I say, that's not the question. I don't care if I produce the same amount as conventional. I don't care if my economics are the same as conventional with chemicals or conventional organic. What I want to see is an, a fair and equitable biological system based on reality, and I want us to then, as Fukuoka always said, use our our focus on the land and our focus on producing food to make ourselves better human beings. And part of becoming better human beings is to face the difficult questions, which is, what are we doing to this earth, and why are we doing it? And if we tell ourselves that we can have rainbows and flowers and free lunches and we don't really have to change our lifestyle and the way that we impact this planet in order to have a healthy local food system, if we do that, we're not paying attention. And I just want us to pay attention and deal with reality. I do want us to pay attention. I do want us to deal with reality. Um, I, I think when it comes to overpopulation, I really don't see anything happening in that space. And on top of that, I really don't want to take that one on. I, you know, but I see, I your point. see if that we, we have to. If, if, if we deal with that, then it does make a lot of other things a lot easier. I, I think that uh, we're up to the challenge for dealing with an expanding population, and I do think permaculture is the tool. I think, my opinion is different from yours, I think Fukuoka proved 
<laughs> that that you can be sustainable and outproduce conventional. I'm gonna I'm going to tell you that I I hope you're right, and I'm going to try and go out again. Uh, after this short break, working for a very large conventional organic farm, and I'm going to go back to doing that and, and try and prove you right. And um, since I've been doing that for 30 years and um, I've got a little more experience doing that than you, now it's your turn to go out and um, prove yourself right too. You're older than me. <laughs> I am older, a lot older, but you still, you're, you're, no. you're way behind uh, on, on, your, on your experiences with your hands in, in the soil. True, absolutely you, true. I, I want you to get out and prove yourself right. And, and at the same time, I've done a lot of research in areas that, that you're absolutely. just getting warmed up on. Absolutely. And, and so, um, uh, I mean, I took, you know, you, I, you trained me well, Yoda. <laughs> you know, uh, you 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 set me up. Yeah, you get to be Yoda. <laughs> you are wearing green today, <laughs> um, and so uh, you you set me up. And a big part of what you told me uh, was to go out and learn this stuff on your own, and don't believe anybody, and um, you know, Good. prove it Good. to yourself. And I, and I'm saying that again, more. <laughs> go out. And and don't listen to me. Listen to the land. So that was, don't listen to anyone else. Listen to the land. So that was 15 years ago, and and now, <laughs> um, and I feel like I've I've spent uh, since uh, I don't know I've spent the last eight nine years researching uh, permaculture a lot, mm -hmm. uh, and I've got a lot of experience with it in the soil, mm -hmm. and um, uh, and it, and it seems to me like. Uh, I don't know, a year and a half ago, a year ago, I tried talking to you about permaculture, and, and it seemed like your position on it was like, yeah, that's kind of cute for the, you know, the, the, the hearts, flowers, and rainbows crowd, you know. And, and But now, like in the last six months, you are bonkers about it. And well, so no, I no, no, like no, no, no. Let's, let's, I got the jump on you. Let's, let's, uh, I'm, I'm willing to say that what I was doing all along for the last 17 years on my place with with the diversity of perennials and annuals and no-till uh, and some animals was permaculture. Okay. And and then I got excited about uh, doing forest farming in the jungle in Panama, and I, I finally saw an example that I thought was a productive permaculture because I've seen a lot of very unproductive permaculture examples and so fair enough what 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 I saw in Panama blew my mind and I also saw some examples of permaculture uh, one in Costa Rica where there was a lot of talk and not not very impressive but I saw a system that was more ecologically focused than my system here in Montana and producing not as much. It didn't actually produce as much per acre as my system in Montana, but it was so beautifully integrated and had even fewer inputs than, than I had. You know, I managed to run a 30-acre farm with myself and one other part-time person, as opposed to the 2,000 acres I'm working on now where we have about 350 people working it. We have a lot of hand labor and, and it's economically actually not as efficient as my farm where I had all the free ecological service providers, all the insects and the soil and the plants providing everything that I needed for inputs. Even so, this farm in Panama was more ecologically oriented. There were, there were virtually no inputs after seven years. And I, I haven't seen that as well in, uh, in the other permaculture examples. So, so I started feeling very comfortable using the word permaculture because this guy in Panama called himself uh, permaculture, although he's on the fringe of permaculture too. I don't think he's ever actually taken a certified, I don't think he's a certified permaculture designer. designer. But a, an amazing plant person. So yes, I think I'm open to all of these ideas and one of the reasons the last year and a half that I'm more interested in these systems that I don't think produce as much yield is because I think asking about yield is the wrong question now. 
even though I'm going to go back in a few more days <laughs> and work for a farm where we're probably going to produce more yield per acre than most organic farms in the United States, I, I st- and we're going to probably gross around $10 million this year, I don't think those are, those are not the questions that are very interesting to me at this point. So I'm going to go out and next year start on a forest garden that is beyond what I did here in Montana, not quite as impressive as Panama because I don't want to live in that climate, and and try and take all of the stuff that Fukuoka taught me and integrate that to whatever climate I end up in. And then I'm going to come back once in a while and visit my parents and watch what you do here in Missoula. <laughs> well, <clears throat> hopefully I'm going to get some land here in a few months. Beautiful. And, and, uh, and get, get back to it and, and set up something you'll be impressed by. You'll have to come by and tell me what I'm doing wrong. No, I'm going to come by and clap. <laughs> um, all right. I think, I think we've probably done play Yeah, let's... <laughs> Got to, got to get got to get going, um, and so uh, uh, you've got your your new website, which has been getting a fair bit of traffic. Um, uh, veganicpermaculture.com. Yes. And uh, uh, and then of course uh, I have my website, uh, which you know what's weird is I've got I've got richsoil.com. I've been getting a ton of traffic to that, but they've been not looking at my stuff. And I went and I looked into it, and I found out that apparently. There's somebody that has clothes, and they're calling their clothes rich soil. And, and so I'm getting all these people coming and looking for clothes, and they're disappointed when they get to my site. <laughs> so, and, and they should know that soil is far more impor- important to the human condition than clothing. Right. And, and, but I guess, you know, most of the world doesn't give a damn about this. They're more interested in their clothes. Um, <clears throat> anyways, but I, I, rich soil. And, and the big site is um, permies.com. Where um, I've, I'm really hoping. I mean, I've talked on my podcast uh, about people uh, making links to my stuff and whatnot. But but I, I was thinking about that the other day, and I was thinking, you know, there's really nothing more important. The links just don't matter nearly as much as just going out to the forums, and asking a question, or helping somebody else understand something. I mean, the forums is really the most important thing. I mean, all of my videos, all of my podcasts, all of my articles are all there to try and direct people to the forums. And so really, you know, for those of you listening to the podcast, go to the forums, participate. And it's really, I, that, I, I think I have not emphasized that enough. And uh, go to the forums, post, answer questions, um, and, and learn. Build a little something every day. Build a little more knowledge every day. Because this stuff is hard. And uh, and you know you were you were mentioning something earlier about uh, having to know all this different stuff about optimizing the crops, optimizing the growth for this, and how to keep this from bolting and and stuff like that. And <clears throat> I think in permaculture, you fling the seed, you, bake, you you mix up your 50 different kinds of seed, and you fling it around, and you kick some soil on it, and stomp on it a little bit, and you move on. And um, because of all the intersecting of edges, it ends up being that you really don't need to know much at all. I think that we're going to come up with recipes for permaculture so that you you don't need to know it nearly as much as what people currently need to know in order to raise a, a regular conventional garden. And I think it's going to get to be easier. But, but before we can get to that part where it's so much easier, we're, we're going to have to really get our heads wrapped around this other stuff to move forward. And, and we need the folks to come and, and do that moving forward. Um, you're not going to move forward sitting at home just listening to me babble on about it. I need your help, too. Helen needs your help, too, even though she's smarter than I am. Question everything. <laughs> so come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about uh, soils, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.